before that. I said a few minutes ago, this is gonna be a special service. Uh, I'm gonna be joined by a few friends in, in a couple minutes, but I want, to, um, I want to recap where we've been and I wanna kind of set the stage for a conversation. Today, um, I, I, I really like the plan that we have for this series and I've been really looking forward to this. So my question for you is this, how many of you came to church this weekend experience, uh, expecting something from God? You expected to, you want to hear God speak to you. Okay, awesome. I, that's what I came here for too. So if you're brand new, we're week three of a four-week series called Thy Kingdom Come. Each week kind of builds on itself. And real quick, I want to recap where we've been because you kind of need to know where we've been for each week to make sense. And so uh, the whole premise of this is at the end of Jesus's life, he stood before the governor of the day, Pontius Pilate, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. In John chapter 18, this should be familiar to us. Remember this? Yes, my kingdom is not of this world. And so what he was saying is, I don't go about things the way the world does, humans do. There's a better way that I came to introduce. Well, we connected that to something really important. He said at the very beginning of his ministry, when he taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter six, he says, this is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. So now we see two things that really matter. Number one, Jesus has a kingdom that is different than anything the world has seen. And number two, he actually wants it to happen here on earth. So we've been asking this question. How does the Bible think about humans having, possessing, and exercising power and authority? We've been asking that. And so we looked at the very first page, week one, we talked about how God, at the first sentence of the book, the Bible, Genesis 1, we see that God was ultimate power, ultimate authority. He spoke life into existence. And so he took his power, his authority, he asserted it into chaotic darkness, and he spoke order so that life could flourish. He then gave that power and authority to this one image that he created of himself called humans, which are us. And he said, now you guys take the power, you take the authority and the resources, and you do the same thing. You find chaos, you find darkness, assert yourself into it, and you help life to flourish by any means that I have given you. So we learned week one that God brings light and life out of chaos and darkness, which is great news because if you have any sort of chaos or any sort of darkness in your life, God's plan, his will for your life is he wants to create life that flourishes for you spiritually, emotionally, physically. And we've been talking about this. So the craziest part of the whole story is though, as I just mentioned, he entrusts all this life giving stuff to these humans who we have free will. And we have this choice of, are we going to trust God's way of good and evil? Or are we going to rely on our own? And we decided that we weren't going to trust God's way of, of what's best or what's right. We we're going to define it for ourselves, which we're historically notoriously terrible at. And so based on this, we have different groups of people defining good and evil different ways. And it may benefit me, but it may come at the cost of you, which is never how God intended it. We looked in week one and we asked, so politically, what is, where does this word politics come from? And it's the Greek word politikos, which came into being around the time of Jesus. And it really just answers this question of what are the conditions that make life good for a group of people who commit to living in a close environment together. That's really all politics are at, at their essence is what, how can we treat each other in a way that the living conditions are good for everybody involved? And so last week we camped out on two really important words that we found out in the Bible that the church perhaps says we have not done a great job in the Western church with either of these words. Does anybody remember the two words that we talked about last week? Righteousness and? justice. And can we separate them? No. Can we ever separate them biblically? No. Have we historically? Yes. yes. It's like a peanut butter sandwich without the jelly. 
Righteousness and justice are bedfellows. They go together. Righteousness defined, and it's that word we learned. You learned the Hebrew word, tzedakah or sedek, And it's literally just treating each other right, that, that we would be in right relationship with one another. It's not a moral code. It's not acting right. It's are we good? That is the biblical definition of righteousness. And if that is the focus, our morality will inform itself based on this. Then God knew that when our own free will, we notoriously treat people terribly. So what are we going to do when we get this out of balance? Well, that's where we need justice. And justice is that fun Hebrew word mishpat. And it's it's the idea of wherever we see that righteousness isn't happening, wherever the oppressed or the marginalized or the vulnerable are, we're to actually seek them out and try to lift them up. Or in other words, use our power, our authority, our resources, and our influence to assert it into chaotic darkness and help bring order so that life can flourish. Sound familiar? It's when we're made in the image of God. This is throughout the biblical this is, this is throughout the, the biblical theme, and it's been really, really simple. If you haven't been here the last two weeks, the messages are on our website, on our app. I would strongly encourage you to watch them. Or if you're new to this faith journey, I, I, I would say at 40 years old, 20 years into ministry, it's about the best job I think I've ever done of laying out what is the most basic fundamental story of the, God, of the Bible. If you want to understand what the Bible is about, I think the last two weeks have really answered that question. So here's what I want to talk about today. Uh, last week, my recap was 10 minutes. This week, it was three, so we're making improvement. So here's what I want to talk about today. What do we do when righteousness and justice aren't happening? What's God's response? What does the Bible say? How do you think God feels when we aren't getting this right? And more importantly, how do you think he feels not only when we are not getting this right, but we don't seem to care that we're not getting it right. And we continue to leverage our advantages, take advantage of other people, use our power to build my empire at the expense of union. How do you think God feels about that? What do you think his plan is? Well, we learned a long time ago his plan is, right? A group of people, Christians, the body of Christ, the, the seed of Abraham to be that. Well, it's fascinating. And I want to read some scriptures that I bet you've never heard read at church before. And there's, th there's one passage I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to um, paraphrase real quick. But throughout the Old Testament, we see righteousness and justice, righteousness and justice, righteousness and justice. What's the most important thing to God? That we are right with each other and we fix it when we're not. I, if we don't get anything else out of the next four weeks, systemically, society, and individually, what is the most important thing to God? To live holy and be perfect? No, actually, that takes care of itself if we really try to make sure that people are taken care of. It's the most important thing. It's why we keep it simple here at Cape Christian. Love God, love people. Loving people should come as an overflow of loving God. So in Isaiah, in Amos, there's several places where God for years has sent prophet after prophet after prophet to his people because they can't seem to get it. They're like this group of people that they keep hearing the message and they keep hearing the truth and they can't seem to get it. And so he's like, hey, by the way, righteousness and justice are a big deal. Righteousness and justice are a big deal. Righteousness and justice are a big deal. I don't know if you heard, but righteousness and justice are kind of a big deal. Like this is the theme. And I want to read you two or three really sobering messages straight out of the word of God from God's mouth about what does he feel when we're doing all of our religious activities but we're not taking care of the poor, the oppressed, the vulnerable, the marginalized, and the beaten down. When we're still tithing and we're singing good worship songs and we're coming to church and we're going to our small group, yet we're kind of building our own little kingdom that benefits us, at the, maybe even at the expense of... What, does he have any thoughts about that? Scarily? Absolutely. And there's like no room for interpretation. Let me show you what he says in Isaiah. When he sends the prophet Isaiah, this is the, chapter one. 
This is what the, this is what the Lord says. I laugh now because it already punched me in the face when I read it in preparation for this. But I'm like, this is so crazy. Here's what God thinks about when we don't care about righteousness and justice, and we just want to do our own thing. Well, I don't know about that. I just want to do my own thing. Cool. Let me show you Isaiah. The multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. What are they to me? Verse 11. I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams, of fatted cows and animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Uh, to me. New moons and Sabbaths in convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, which, by the way, were God's idea in the beginning, I hate with all my being. I don't know that there's a whole lot of middle ground and room for interpretation in that. Well, what? Well, I, he didn't really mean hate. What he, no, he meant hate. Why? Why does he? They have become a burden to me. What's he saying? We shouldn't have church anymore? Well, let's keep reading. I'm weary of bearing them. I, he's like, I, this is what God says. I can't stand to go to your church anymore. That's what that means. I don't want to go to your church. I don't want your worship and I don't want your offerings. This is literally the translation. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wa wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. So are you with me so far? I mean, is, this is pretty clear. How does God feel about the people of Israel who are his chosen people who give their offering and have their worship in the new moon festival? Why, what's he so mad about? He's about to tell us in this last verse. He says, I don't care if your church online is awesome. I don't care if you're in three small groups. I don't care if you tithe and above that. Why? You've missed the most important thing. And church, I've already teed this up for you. What's the most important thing? It's two words. One starts with an R and the other starts with a J. What is it? Righteousness and justice. Mishpat and tzedakah. Are we good? And wherever it's not, what are we doing? This is what the church is supposed to be doing. So he says, I can't handle any of this. And then in verse 17, he says this, learn to do right. He's saying, do righteousness, seek justice. Why doesn't he care about the festivals? Because righteousness and justice isn't happening. Defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widows. I don't have time to go into it, but later on, way later, if you want to go read it, Isaiah 58, he goes through, he, he actually gets their attention, and they're like, what do we got to do? Well, it's fast. And he's like, okay, let me tell you the kind of fasting that I approve of. And he basically goes in, verse 6, I'll just show you the first one. He says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? And he goes on to talk about give food to the hungry, find shelter for the, 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 the people who's wandering, clothe the naked. Basically, the whole thing is about like you continue to not take care of each other and you think your religion is somehow like blessed by, by me. And this next one, same thing happens in Amos, another scripture. I just want to show you it's more than one place because this is in God's character. This is just such strong language. I just had to read it to you because uh, I didn't want to be depressed by myself. Um, <laughs> here's, what, here's what God says to the prophet Amos. Same, same time frame, same oppression happening all over. Uh, and again, if you're here for week one, we love that you're here. It'll help a lot more if you watch week, uh, or week one and week two to make, make this make sense. Amos chapter five. He says, I hate... 
I despise your religious festivals. I hope God never says that about Cape Christian. He says, your assemblies are a stench to me. Like, I know most of you have never done what I did, but if God ever showed up in a dream and said this to me, I would have to rethink my career choice. He says, even though you bring me offerings and grains, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, because it's too loud anyway. Oh, it doesn't say this, that last part. I won't listen to the music of your harps, but here's what I will listen to. Let justice roll like a river and let righteousness like a never failing stream. You know what he's saying? If you guys would put a little bit, a half as much effort into taking care of people as you do where everything goes and tithing this and worship song that and this instrument and this festival and this religious activity and this thing, if you would care a little bit more about people and a little bit less about your festivities, then we can have a conversation. But somehow I don't know how to help you understand righteousness and justice are all that matters to me. That's it. If I had more time, and if you have more time, we'll get into this in the bonus content, I could show you throughout the Old Testament, this is the story of the Bible. Micah 6, 8. This is another prophet towards the end. Again, the prophet is trying to say, hey, let me make this simple. Let me tell you what God is about. He says, uh, he has shown you, this is God. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of us? You're never going to guess what he's about to say. Three things. Do justice. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of you? What would God have me do? Do justice. It doesn't say think about justice. It doesn't say pray for justice. It doesn't say believe in justice. It says do justice. Do. Be active in helping elevate those who have been pushed down individually, society, wherever it may be. It could be a neighborhood, a neighbor in your neighborhood. It could be a kid in your classroom. It could be a coworker. It could be find some way to elevate somebody. He says three things. That, he says, what does the Lord require of us? Number one, do justice. It's not something to believe, but to do. And he's saying, Micah is literally, if you go through the book of Micah, he's speaking out against the political systems, he's speaking out against the judicial system, and he's speaking out against the religious system. He's like, all of it, like you're getting it wrong, take care of people. Not only are you to do justice, you're to love mercy. That word mercy is that, is that Hebrew word chesed, which literally means to carry through on your commitment to meet, to meet others' needs. He says, so I want you to, to do justice, take care of people, commit, finish your commitment on taking care of others, and then the third thing he says is walk humbly with your God. See, in these days, powerful people didn't walk humbly anywhere ever. Yet he says, I want you to walk humbly, which I would say the series we did right before this was a four-week series on humility. Maybe or maybe not an accident. So you can go back and rewatch that as a setup to this. So I want to talk about those things. I want to talk about do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. We, I, we already talked about walking humbly for about four weeks. Mercy is taking care of people. We've been talking about righteousness and justice. And so uh, while we were planning this out a long time ago, we thought, man, rather than me just preach again, let's talk about what does it look like? Let's have a conversation about what does it look like to do justice? Because remember, the whole point of this is we want to reclaim righteousness and justice as a biblical narrative. We want the Bible's definition of justice. We don't want our, our culture to hijack this idea of justice. We don't want a misinterpretation of righteousness where it's about doing all these right things, but not caring about your neighbor. And so rather than preach, I want to have a panel. I have, I've had four of my friends that are going to come and I just have some questions for them. And we've been working on this. We've been preparing, we've been prepping. And I believe that if we will set our hearts to live 
listen, that God will speak to us just as much through a conversation as he will through a message or preaching. Because, uh, because I asked you, how many of you about 10 minutes ago want to hear from God? You're like, yeah, let's hear from God. Well, the way God speaks is through people and not just always a pastor and not just through the scriptures. And so I want to invite you to put your listening ears on and maybe just maybe God wants to, sh- to say something or shift a little bit of our perspective or whatever the case may be as we have this. And so I'm going to invite um, all my friends up there somewhere in the dark or in the light. I can't see. Oh, there they are. Um, so give them a hand as they come on up here. Um, Dave and Renee and Josh and Megan. Josh, I got my chair, bro. I got you. So while they are coming up here. Oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to drag it. I forgot that part. So real quick introductions. Um, three of these faces are probably pretty familiar. We have over here, we have Dave Drum. Um, Dave and his wife have been here about a year and a half. Dave is our men's ministry director. Um, Dave also, uh, men's breakfast today too, right? Yeah, good job. Um, so he's wearing the, he's wearing the, team, the team jersey. Um, Dave also, uh, former military and current law enforcement. So uh, different, yes, absolutely. Another face you probably recognize, Josh Harden. Josh is a part of our worship ministry, him and his family. Um, they've been very involved in, in some small groups as well. Um, Josh, also former military, went through the police academy, working for corporate America for one more week and is about to launch his own business, um, has grown up in the church. And so um, entrepreneur uh, again. And then uh, we have Renee, Renee Cabrera. Renee has been uh, part of our church 16 years, you and your family. Um, he's the president of our board. He runs his own company. His wife is on staff here. His daughter's in our leadership college. His other daughter's on our worship team. Like you guys are the essence of Cape Christian. And you're a Floridian. You're from Miami, and then you guys have been here. So we have Renee. And then my dear friend, Megan Rose. You probably recognize Megan. Megan is the founder and CEO of Better Together. Um, they were here last weekend in our lobby. Um, but she is just a gem and um, I love what her and her family are doing. Um, with Better Together, you're going to hear a little bit more about that. Um, but we've met in just different leadership circles and we continue to find out that we're doing a lot of, we're about the same things. For any of you who heard about or were part of the virtual job fair we did, um, Megan is, that was with Better Together. And so um, she's like, uh, goes, she worships somewhere else, another great church, but we're like cousins in the Lord, right? So give Megan a hand for being with us as well. And uh, so we've been preparing this. We've been praying and, and, and our team. I just felt like I wanted I wanted us to have a conversation. And, and why us? I wanted it to be um, us. This represents us. There's we all have different backgrounds. We have different experiences. We look different. We sound different. Some of us were born in cornfields. Some of us were born A1A South Beach. Uh, uh. But what's beautiful about this is these are all followers of Jesus, all kingdom builders. We don't all see things the exact same way. We have different experiences yet um, all have the same heart for really seeing the church be the church and see God's word going forth and us really getting this thing right. And so I'm going to kick it off with you, Dave. Um, we're going to talk about justice. Uh, and so the, the, the topic of social justice specifically has kind of been, I said last week, I said it's been hijacked. Uh, I said if biblical justice happens, social justice takes care of itself. But in our culture, the word social justice has kind of been demonized by the political right and secularized by the political left. Really, nobody wants to talk about it or can. So what can we as a church do to reclaim justice as a biblical value? So the fact that it's such a polarizing statement is odd to me because 
social justice, that's our entire justice system is actually social justice because it's all formed out of laws that are based on our society's views and morals. As morals change, laws change, and therefore justice changes. So to allow it to be such a polarizing thing is odd to me because it's all social justice. Um, as far as uh, the church's ability to take that back and, and, and work towards actual justice, um, we as a church, as a whole church, can't do that unless we as individual members of the body start to take steps. And I think for a lot of us, uh, the first step might be really, really simple. Uh, and it could just come down to this idea of uh, the way we use the word they. Um, That's good. We, we need to be really cautious of using the word they, not just in our speech, but in our thought process. Uh, you know how they are and, and those people and, well, that's just the way they do it. Um, because the fact of the matter is in someone else's story, we are they. We're mm. always going to be they. Um, and I think the sooner we as a church body recognize that, that we are they, um, it'll stop separating us so much. I love that you just said that. And wouldn't you even agree that, to your point, at one point Jesus was in heaven and God looked at him and said, they kind of messed this up. So I need you to go help them, save them. So like, we really are they. We are they. That's a really, really good word. Renee, I want to flip it to you. Um, you, got a, you got a ton of wisdom, life experience. You know, you've seen a lot of things. So in the United States, and you, you, you're pretty into this stuff. Why is it that it seems like we can have certain conversations around injustice, whether it's gender equality, pay equality in the workplace, um, workplace stuff. We can, we can have some of those conversations. But as soon as the word race is brought into it or racism, all of a sudden, it kind of becomes this hot topic. People get defensive. They shut down. The, the, the term the kids are using is triggered. Um, why is it that, that, that we get so set off by that word racial justice or racism, but we can have conversations about injustice other places? Because it's, a, it's an emotional topic. Hmm. I mean, there's, you know, maybe not all of us have experienced racism, but there are people that have, hmm. you know, and, and by definition, racism is, you know, I think I'm better than you right? Um, and it's just, you know, we see it. Um, some people don't believe it's there, but it's there. Um, and maybe they don't believe because they haven't experienced that personally. Um, you know, I, I was uh, very fortunate to grow up in a, in a really good area, but I was one of, I think, five Hispanics in, in, uh, in, my, in my elementary school. And you said everybody else was? Was, was white and black. White or black. Yeah. So I definitely was a minority, but, you know, I never experienced mm -hmm. racism as, as I see it today. Um, as, a, as my kids have experienced it. So, you know, it is very emotional because it kind of hits home. It's like, you know, are we, are we stepping backwards? Um, how, and then how do I relate to someone who has experienced it? Um, and I've, again, I, I've never seen it, but now it's being, you know, publicized on TV. And, you know, it's this big division between, you know, am I racist? Is he racist? You know, and it's, it's just this topic that keeps going, you know, over and over and over again. Uh, you know, playing in my head and, and many people I've, I've spoken to. Yeah, I like that you said that sometimes if we haven't experienced it or don't see it, maybe it's hard to believe that it, it's, it's, it's there. Um, why, uh, why do you think we get so emotional about it? Like, it's like, we don't want to, like, ah, don't go there. Let's talk about gender inequality, but let's not talk about racial inequality. I like, think we don't want it to be true. I think that's the way we're conditioned. Hmm. I really do, and I think it's because we focus on, we focus on, what we see people um, report yeah. versus, on, versus having a conversation. 
Like just having a sitting down and having a conversation with someone. Like, what have you experienced? Mm. Help me, ex help me to understand because I, I, I don't see it. Mm. You know, and I think uh, we're, we just, I don't know, for some reason, we just don't talk. I love that you said the words, help me understand. I think if we all would approach conversations with help me understand, it, it would be a really amenable conversation where we could maybe learn some things. That's good. Megan, um, so great to have you here, by, by the way. Thanks for being here. So I just read Micah 6.8. I know it's not unfamiliar to you. You know, this is what the Lord has said you're to do. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Why is it, and you've been around the church a long time, you're in ministry. Why do you think that the church, we have a tendency to do a good job teaching people to walk humbly with God and to, to love mercy, but not so much in doing justice. What does it look like for the church to not hear about or believe justice? What does it look like for the church to do justice? Yeah, so I want to share my own personal story and how it's really shaped um, my entire life. So when I was little, life was really hard. Um, and I remember I was only six years old. My dad had lost his job. We were struggling to pay the bills and he started drinking and then that led to drugs. And then one night he came home and he was just really drunk and he was really angry. Um, and he grabbed a shotgun and he cornered my mom in the kitchen. And I remember thinking, he's going to kill her. And so I grabbed a baseball bat and I put myself in between my mom and my dad and I just asked him to please stop. And it was in that moment my mom had the courage she knew she needed to leave. Um, but she couldn't do it alone, she needed support. And so the church asserted themselves into our family and our craziness and our messiness and our darkness. Um, and then even when my dad went to jail for drugs, they mentored him, they loved on him. And because of these loving, caring relationships that rolled up their sleeves and got dirty, um, it changed the whole trajectory of our family. Um, my dad and my mom ended up getting remarried. Um, they have relationships with the Lord, and it just changed generational cycles for our family. And that's why, just by God's grace and his mercy, and because of kindness and love, like, I'm here today. So you now are the CEO of Better Together. I'm assuming that's not just a job for you, but your story is connected to that. Talk a little bit about what Better Together is and why like, that's so important to you, connected to your personal story. So Better Together is creating a structure for the church to come alongside families just like mine that are in our community that are struggling and going through something really difficult, whether it's homelessness, addiction, incarceration, but it's a way for the church to come alongside and love on families and meet them exactly where they are and remind them that God loves them, has purpose for them, and lift them up by engaging in true, authentic relationships with people. That's really good. Um, so you said, I asked the question, what does it look like to do justice? And you painted a, a perfect picture of a church and some people really intentionally engaged into your mess. Like they made your problem their problem. And that's, you're, so I'm putting words in your mouth. You're saying that's what it looks like for the church to do justice is we have to make somebody else's problem our problem. So follow-up question to that is how do we get people, and this is your whole job uh, in life, how do we get people to care about injustice whether it's racism or orphans or widows or the needy or the poor, how do we get people to care about it if it hasn't personally impacted them? So historically, the church was in the forefront of caring for the widows and the orphans and those that are vulnerable in the community. The church was the first foster family. They started hospitals. But in recent times, the church has kind of stepped back and the government has really you know, taken the lead and caring for a lot of these really messy society issues. So with foster care, the government's really good at ripping families apart, but really struggles at putting them back together. They have a 45% success rate. Um, with Better Together, we have strangers that open up their home and they care for families and give them peace of mind. 
and we have a 98% success wow. rate. Wow. So we see God's people come inside, I mean, come alongside these families and care for them and keep them together. And government alone is not going to fix these issues. But I believe God's people can, but it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be uncomfortable. But God calls us to make room in our busy, well-protective, scheduled lives because people matter. Yeah. And you have a personal story about that. Yeah, so my husband and I, um, we walk the walk. We've invited 18 kids into our home over the past four years, sometimes as short as 24 hours or as long as three months. And these moms and these dads, um, our lives are so different. And I remember the first mom we met her, she had a black eye, dad had gotten drunk, and it was a very similar situation. And we met her and she was like, who are you? Crazy person wanting to help me with my son. And I remember we were able to reunify Brett with his mom on his very first birthday in a parking lot. And all of a sudden her guard came down and she asked me, she's like, why would you help me? You don't even know me. And I said, just because God's called me to do this. And I was able to share my own story, my testimony. And we mentored Travis, the husband, and we continued to build a relationship with them. And five years later, they're back together. They just had a, their second baby and we still have this amazing relationship. They're plugged into a church and their lives are different. And so I would say Kylie's, little girls like me, when I was little, we matter. Mm. And we all have our hurts and things we've been through. Um, but we can see the power of what God can do transformationally in people's lives if we're willing to take the courage to step into their messiness. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because I think your stories are the answer to the question. I ask, how do you get people to care if it doesn't affect them? And I think it's awareness. It's hearing the stories. I think sometimes we don't know what's happening in our own city or our own backyard. And so thank you for your transparency and, and your honesty. Dave, I want to flip it back to you. Um, saving the best for last. Don't worry, Josh. Um, how does justice factor into the message of the cross? And more specifically, is, is, the, is God's concern only specifically for the redemption of the soul or do you think God cares about the redemption of the society or the system that government souls as well? Go ahead, Mr. Law Enforcement. <laughs> you gave me the easy one. Yeah, I know. Um, so, I mean, the, the short version, do, does God care about the government? I, I, I don't know how much he cares about the government beyond the fact that it's something that affects us. Um, and it is something that's divisive to us many times, and it is something that people are passionate about. So therefore, I do think God has, uh, has thoughts of it, has, has a plan for it. Um, I think we as humans manage to, to mess that up frequently. Um, but ultimately, um, a system of government was, was never his goal. It, he, his, his greater concern is definitely the, the salvation of our souls and, mm. and the, uh, the people you know, acting justly. That's good. Um, Josh, how can the church, and by church I don't mean the building, I mean us as individuals, you know that, how can we be a catalyst for justice, biblical justice in today's kind of social and political climate? Well, I think the first thing and the easiest thing for us to do as a church is to be an example and let our light shine um, for the world. Um, one thing, you know, I do know about this church, Cape Christian, is this church is full of people who care hmm. um they open their their arms up and their cells up <laughs> to other people 
Um, quick story, very quick example is Mark and David Drum, they reached out to me. We got to talking. Um, we all like to fish. I mean, any typical day, I probably wouldn't, you know, hang out with David Drum or Mark, but because we all have fishing in common, we got together, we started talking. I was like, hey, they're pretty cool. I'm pretty, you know, I don't know if they said I'm pretty cool, but. They didn't. I was like, no, they didn't say that. <laughs> I was like, hey, man, they're pretty cool. Uh, we hung out a few hours that day, right? Um, and it was, it, was, it was a very memorable moment for me hmm. as an individual. Number one, as a black man, um, fishing with two Caucasian men, it, 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 made, it defined a moment for me in my life. Um, so Why I, is that? Why? Because obviously, you know, there are stigmas and racial barriers there. You yep. see what I'm saying? Yep. And it broke those things down. And I've been in the military. I've been around a diversity of people. And I've never been, a, oh, man, I don't like those, you know, yeah. this and that. But it, it just, it made me feel more confident and, and, and confirmed in my, you know, my thought process. Right. Um, even, and it, I think it's mostly because of what's going on to, in today's world. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So, but yeah, just let our light shine. And I think if we take a little bit of what we sing about and we pray about and well, we worship about, we lift our hands and we, if we take a little bit of what we do in here as people in the church and we take it out there, I think, no matter of fact, I know that that will be that shift that we we need in today's world. That's really good. So I hear you saying, yeah, it's a great word, great word. So what, what I hear you saying is, is being intentional. Mark, yes. and, Mark and Dave were intentional, you've yes, been intentional. Yes, Go, yes, intentional. I maybe wouldn't do this naturally, but I'm gonna make an on-purpose step to be a part of the solution so you can let your light shine. Yeah, and, and that's like, like I was saying, um, that's the doorway. Yep. You gotta be intentional. Invite somebody into your house. Hey man, you wanna come over for dinner, have dinner with me and my family? Uh, you want to go fishing, you want to go golfing, you want to go bowling, uh, you want to watch college football together. Yes. Anything, <laughs> anything that we can do as a church to, to get to know other people, because I think you gaining insight on someone else's life and what they've been through. It's good. I think that will. And I love that you talked about, you basically decided you guys were going to focus on what you had in common, not what you didn't have in common. Exactly. You didn't say it, but you said that. That's really good, Josh. That's a good word. Oh. Renee. Um, what can the church do to not be a tool for the political left or the political right necessarily, but reclaim our voice and pursue justice from the biblical standpoint? That's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> um, listen. <laughs> you, you, yes. I would just say, listen. Uh, you know, I, I've been together with my wife for 20 years. And uh, yeah, it's a long time. Uh, <laughs> that's what she tells me. Yeah, that's what she says. I feel like we just got married yesterday. I've been with my wife together for, you know, tw again, 28 years. And we, there were some issues at the beginning. And the issues were me because she would come home and talk. And then I just, I just started blabbing, just started throwing out, you know, do this, do this, think about it this way. And, you know, one day she just basically said, you know, shut up. It's not about what you say, but it's how you listen. Hmm. Just listen to me. Hmm. I don't need you to say anything else, you know? And I've gotten really good at that over the years. And, hmm. and you know, I, I bring that into uh, raising my kids. Just listen to what my kids have to say, you know? Uh, they may be wrong, but they just, wanna, they just want me to listen. And I think as a church, that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to listen to those, as you mentioned earlier, that feel disenfranchised, that feel like maybe they've been a condition to feel like they don't they're not good enough you know mm -hmm. and you know as soon as we walk through this door uh, to the church we have a, a sign there that says love god and love people 
So that's the second thing. It's, you know, just like you love God, love people. No matter what they look like, no matter what they sound like, no matter how they dress, uh, no matter the age, you know. Um, and as far as um, you talked about the, the political right and the political left, um, you know, I truly, God doesn't see red or red or, or yellow, yellow. Blue. Blue. Or green. Or this, yeah. right? <laughs> God doesn't see it that way, yeah, right? God, right? God sees us as, as you had mentioned earlier, to stand in the gap, whereas mm-hmm. we're conditioned to make the gap wider and wider and wider. That's good. You know? That's good. It's a great answer. Josh, uh, one last one, and I'll close with Dave. Um, what can we do as individuals to celebrate racial, ethnic, cultural diversity, the differences you said, uh, in the kingdom of God? What can we do biblically, as Christians to, to celebrate that? And be that light. Well, I'll go back to the last question. We have to be intentional. Hmm. Have to be intentional. We have to make a conscious effort as individuals and as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus told Peter, follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. When you, if anybody in here knows something about fishing, you have to go find the fish, right? That's good. So we have to do the same thing, I think, when it comes to this, let's be intentional. Let's get out there. Let's 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 put our feet on the ground, and and really be just be intentional. I mean, this is what we've been preparing for. That's good. We've been in church. You know, I've been in church my whole life. You guys been in church. Everybody here comes to church. This is what we're being. We've been preparing for this moment in moments like this. I love that. You said that to me on the phone when we were preparing for this. You said, I feel like we've been preparing for this our whole life. Right. God knew this was coming in our culture, mm-hmm. and he's ready for the church to be the light. Yes. I just thought that was a profound word that you he's said. He's been I, raising up strong soldiers for this moment right here. Come on. We need to latch on to that. That's, a, that's good. Dave, last one. Um, want to connect this to a relationship with Christ, obviously, and, and personal. And, and so we've talked about this, but you're a follower of Jesus. You haven't always been. So how has you following Jesus, making a decision to, to allow him in your life, but even your pursuit of him, how has it affected your view on, on this justice topic, on how you see all of this stuff? Like, how has that impacted this? Well, like we talked about, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the instant that I decided to follow Jesus. It, it, it came as a result of the pursuit of him. And unfortunately, at times, my career field um, it, it breeds division. Uh, we're not always the best at communicating with the community. And as a result, it very much turns into us versus them. Hmm. And there's way less of us than there are of them. And they'll never understand what we see. They'll never understand the things we do. But what I realized is those people that guy, Jesus loves him as much as he loves me. That's a good word. And the more I followed that, the more it changed my heart. And you were saying to me, it wasn't just when you got saved, but that's even become more aware to you in your journey. It's not just one prayer you said at a church sometime, but even more. It, it's journey. a result of that, that pursuit. And it's a result of, show, of God showing me in my own life, in my own words, in my own actions or inactions. Um, hey, you're actually that guy. So for you, it wasn't a political agenda or a Facebook post. It was your personal relationship with Jesus, surrendering your life to him, because we've had conversations about what that was like before you knew Jesus, quite different than now. Uh, and, and, but I love that you said, and my pursuit of him since. 
that I, when I read and understand the scripture, you know, you're going back to school again, again for theology and to know God more. And, and that has shaped this. And, and I love that because I think that's the message I would want all of us to get is it's, it's not being louder on Facebook or being on one specific political issue, but the surrendering of your life to Jesus and your pursuit of him and his scripture and spending time with him is really what has helped you see the world more through the lens of how God sees it in a field that we could argue that it's maybe more difficult to see it that way than others. But you still see people, everybody you encounter is, is God's image bearer. And so as a takeaway, a couple thoughts. What is it that the Lord requires to do justice? Not promote it, not celebrate it, not believe in it, but to do it. To love mercy, to walk humbly. And, and I think all of us would say to you that we could not do what we do. We wouldn't be able to have this conversation if we didn't have Jesus sitting on the throne of our hearts, that our worldview and our perspective wasn't shaped by his teaching and his example. And we fail at it, but we're going to keep getting up and trying to do Micah 6, 8. And so for some of you, maybe you're here and, and, and you've, like Dave, you haven't had a world, a world sh- view shaped by Jesus. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. It's as simple as asking him to come be the Lord of your life and then committing to a journey of learning what it means to, to love him and to know him and to live according to his word. And if you're interested in that, or maybe you're online and you're watching like, man, I need a relationship like Dave was just talking about. Um, we're going to pray at the end of this, but you can also text KPS or here in person, KPS to 94000. And we want to send you some videos. We want to explain what that means. We want to walk with you through it because we believe that the really the only thing that's going to help the cultural, social, political climate of our world is not better politics, but it's more Jesus followers. I think abortion is going to get taken care of if everybody would start following Jesus. I think division is going to get taken care of if more people would have Jesus as the throne of their heart. I think that we would have equality. We wouldn't have all these gender issues. And so while I think that matters, my goal is not to change Washington. My, my goal is to see Jesus sit on the throne of people's hearts. And, and that's what we're called to do. You said it. And so maybe you've never, maybe you've never done what Dave did. Maybe you've never, or any of us said, I've, I want to receive Jesus. The Bible says you just, you surrender your life. You say, God, I'm going to let you call the shots. And if you'll text that, we would love to connect with you. You can pray that in your heart. But I'd love to just lead all of us in a prayer, just that we would... This, this series is intentionally confrontational. It was meant to be one that we can't just hear and go, our pastor's a pretty good preacher. But we kind of have to do something. And so you were talking about listening, about what can we do to reclaim this listening. But I love what you said, Megan, too. You kind of said, do something. That was kind of our message last week. And so... What do you hear God saying to you? Where is he asking you to assert yourself into somebody's life to see justice done? Orphans, widows, fatherless, poor, needy, racially, different generations, different genders. There's so many things God, I think, is just offering us. I I, I picture him in heaven saying, here's my heart if you would take it. I'll gladly give you my heart, but you have to want it to be in place of the things that are in your heart. And so I'm going to pray for all of us to receive more of God's heart, and that we would be able to walk humbly, do justice and love mercy. Heavenly Father, I do believe that you're offering your heart. You're offering your love. You're offering yourself to us. And so, God, I, I pray, God, that we wouldn't just hear this message, that we wouldn't just hear this, uh, this conversation, even this message we've been hearing the last few weeks of, of doing justice. But, God, even that we would use the, cat, the holidays, perhaps, as a catalyst, again, whether it's better together or Cape Christmas or a neighbor or a coworker. But God, that this year, it wouldn't just be a holiday thing where we did our, our duty, but that we would start a lifestyle of, of participating in justice, that we would elevate those who are, are downtrodden, who have been pushed down, oppressed, marginalized. 
But God, I pray that you would start by, for anybody here who doesn't know Jesus. And if you're watching online, you can just text that or click the, the banner. Say, yes, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want him. I want his heart. I want his perspective in this. And God, for others of us, that we would have more of your heart, that we would allow you to realign, that you would, we would allow you to recalibrate our perspective, to remind ourselves of what is important to you, God. And I believe that your message to the American church is not so different than it was at the, at the, at the Old Testament, the followers of, of you, the, the Israelites saying, I don't really care as much about your worship songs and your gatherings. I want you to take care of people. And so, God, I pray that you would inspire us and you would put your heart and your passion in us to do that. And God, I pray that we would go out of these doors, go out of this message, and that we would make whatever adjustments are needed to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before you in Jesus' name. Amen.